Season two of the Sober Curious podcast is supported by Groovy, creators of three delicious alcohol-free drinks that are perfect for any social occasion. I make no secret of the fact that I love a nice, crisp, non-alcoholic beer, and Groovy do a hoppy, full-bodied IPA and a crisp and tangy Weiss beer. And with the holiday season coming up, their zero-proof Prosecco is hands down the best bubbly alternative that I've tried. Groovy can be found at getgroovy.com, that's get G-R-U-V-I.com, or in specialty markets throughout Colorado. And they'll also be serving refreshments at two events I have coming up in Denver in November 2019 that I'll share more about mid-episode. If you live elsewhere in the US, you can also get 20% off any online order with the code RUBY20. So welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast with me, Ruby Warrington. This week's episode features an interview that originally aired as part of my numinous podcast, The Now Age, which covers all sorts of subjects to do with emotional and spiritual well-being. My guest is Lindsay Mack, who is sober and also one of the most esteemed tarot readers working today. Lindsay's work is really very much focused on helping people navigate difficult transitions, the kind of things we all go through. And her whole practice was really inspired by her own experience of healing from childhood abuse and living with acute PTSD. The reason I'm sharing this interview here is that she credits getting sober as really the catalyst to this whole process, as well as it being integral to her learning how to trust and use her own intuitive healing gifts. This might sound a little bit woo-woo to some of you, but Lindsay is one of the most grounded, straight-talking, and emotionally intelligent people I have ever met. We touch on so many interesting subjects in this episode, including her experience of being the only teetotaler in a family of what she describes as passionate drinkers, the time she realized she was allergic to alcohol, and what her body was trying to tell her and how many of us medicate with alcohol as a stand-in for more profound healing modalities. I hope you find this conversation as fascinating and enlightening as I did. Here is Lindsay. So Lindsay, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I'm so honored to be here. And it does feel like a little bit of a full circle moment. I was the first guest on your podcast when you launched that. When did you launch your podcast? July 2017. Right. Okay. And I love the fact we're getting some live, real time. Feels correct. Air air traffic. Yeah. (laughs) We're actually sat here. Lindsay and I both live in Brooklyn, um, but we're meeting in LA as the cosmos would have it yeah we both happen to be in LA this week yeah (laughs) it's like the first time that we've seen each other in so long and it's all the way across the country it feels like a sign doesn't it absolutely Mm. it does and we're also recording on the Aquarius new moon Mm. Lindsay what are your new moon practices how do you um honor the move into a new lunar cycle I always it's really just such a cherished time of reflection for me and sometimes I work with the energy and sometimes I don't Um, but I feel like it's so hard in this culture when we're all conditioned to be living straight line linearly that anytime there is a new moon it's just so delicious to be able to remember oh yeah I move with this energy actually this is actually the rhythm of my life Um, and 
it's always just a time for me to sit, find one time during the day, if not the day, to really sit and be with that energy and notice and very often plant seeds Mm. of intentions that Mm -hmm. I'm really longing to bring forward. Mm. So for me, it's just like actually being with it is a lot of the time the practice rather than a huge ritual, which I hope someday becomes more of a presence in my life, but (laughs) it's more like just bathing in the energy that feels really good to me. I'm kind of the same, actually. I don't necessarily have specific rituals. Yeah. It's more like, what is, what is this moon awakening in me? Yes. And how can I just very, it may be very simple. What are my intentions? I might record myself a voice note with some intentions or text a friend. This is my intention. Yes. I don't think, I I don't necessarily make it a big kind of production. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing too, that I think is really interesting that has become a little bit more a part of my life is that over the last maybe year or so, it's become really clear to me that my job is to listen to what the moon has to share with me. Mm. And I think a lot of the time I can get caught up in being like, I'm ready to bring this forward. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to set this intention. But a lot of the time the moon brings me some kind of treasure. It will trigger something. It will bring up a feeling. It will bring up an emotion. And I'm guided like in a completely different direction than maybe the one I wanted to go in. So it's been a cool thing to be able to sit with the moon and notice what does this have to share with me? Like what are the Mm. seeds that are actually being put in my hand and how does that change my desire? So I like that too because I'm just as ego-centered as anybody else. Right, okay. (laughs) Yeah. We can come to it with all this intellectual understanding of what I want for my life and what I think I need to move on from. And the moon, our intuition, Mm -hmm. our intuitive part often has a very different story for us when we can get quiet and still enough to listen. And that's something that I struggle with. As an Aries solopreneur, (laughs) Lindsay's an Aries too, um, (laughs) I can definitely get caught up in that thing of like, got to do more, just got to keep it burning, just yeah. got to keep moving forward. And actually sometimes events, or in my instance, this new moon burnout will just basically yeah. bring me to my ass and be like, you need to sit the fuck down yes. and be quiet and yes. listen to what we have to say. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So Lindsay, what are you doing here in LA? I am here, actually, this is Um, one of those things that I am here literally on an interview tour for my course. And it's the first time I've ever done anything like that, but I have like four interviews and they were all scheduled at the same time. And so I made a vacation out of it. I love that. Yeah. I'm kind of doing the same thing. I know you mentioned it and I was like, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So do you mean you're interviewing people for no, your course? Or you're being interviewed being about interviewed. your course. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm here doing promo for my book, Sober Curious. And I love it. Tons of the podcasts that I wanted to be have conversations about it with record here in LA in person. Mm-hmm. So same. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna stay for a week. Yeah. We got lucky with the weather, though, hey? I know. They followed us. <laughs> For anybody... So um, rainy. Yeah, anybody not in LA, it's really cold and really rainy. We yes. both already had to go out and buy new clothes. 
to like survive the week in <laughs> totally. LA. Totally. <laughs> when we went to the grocery store yesterday, we had to like make a pit stop to get umbrellas and all these things. <laughs> I was like, we did not come prepared for this. No. Yeah. But hey, here we are, and it's lovely, isn't it, to be yes. um, in this part of the world? Absolutely. So, like I said, I'm here promoting sober curious, um, and this is something I'd really love to dive into with you as well, mm-hmm. Lindsay. I can't remember how we how we had this conversation, but shortly after we first met, and just to share a little about how we met, we met at um, Aaron Telford's <laughs> breathwork session at Maha Rose in Greenpoint. Oh. Um, and for anyone unfamiliar with breathwork, it's an active breathing meditation that gets you really high, like really yeah. um, raises up your energy and your vibration and can be very trippy and psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Many people scream, many people cry. Lindsay, you, we were next to each other. You were, sure. a, you were a screamer. I was. It was my first time ever doing breathwork. <laughs> I think it was only my second time. Yeah, I'm sorry. I really took up the space in the room. It was really surprising. I remember you sharing that afterwards. Yeah. That, mm, that's not your normal. No, like, it is You not. weren't expecting that. No, it was not yeah. at all. No. Well, I want to thank you. Um, I <laughs> always thank the screamers in the room because it gives me permission to, to vocalize and to let it out. And for me, that's so much what breathwork yeah. is about, you know? Yeah. But breathwork is one of my favorite ways, as I describe it, to get high on my own supply. Mm. And so that was when we met and you began writing for The Numinous and contributing to The Numinous shortly afterwards. And I think it was I interviewed you about the tarot for my first book. Mm-hmm. And I maybe it was during that conversation that I asked, probably because I was very much still in my own sober curious questioning phase where I wasn't necessarily out about being sober curious, but mm-hmm. I was like wanting to speak to as many people as possible about their interactions with alcohol, particularly within the kind of spiritual community that I was really engaging with. Mm -hmm. Because what I found where I was, um, yeah, creating the numinous, engaging in all these practices, meeting many different people who are part of this world, so many people shared with me, oh, alcohol is just not really part of my world. Oh, I just Mm. don't really do that or think about that. And I was kind of like, huh, what? You don't? Everyone, (laughs) I thought everyone Everyone did. did. This is really fascinating to me. So maybe I asked you then, and I think you just said to me, oh, I don't drink, I'm allergic to alcohol. I am. And I didn't ask further questions because <laughs> back then, and I still feel like this a little bit, if someone uses that that terminology, it can be a euphemism for yeah. I'm in recovery and I, I don't necessarily want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I'll just leave it at I'm allergic to alcohol. And I wonder if you would, if I can yeah. ask you now what mm-hmm. you meant by that. And um, yeah, if you could share a bit more about your own sobriety, sober curiosity. Yeah. So um, that was my kind of, half cheeky half true way of saying that alcohol is not meant to travel with me in this lifetime um i am literally allergic to many different alcohols and um it took me a really long time to figure that out um i would drink and would have these responses that were highly physical highly psychological highly emotional Um, but didn't drink often enough. And I couldn't, it was like, I would have these behaviors that were like somebody who'd gone on this blackout bender or I'd be so ill. Um, and I later found out I'm allergic to gluten. So a lot of what is in beer and Mm. other things Mm. also have like issues with, um, potatoes and had huge reactions to vodka and rye and all kinds of different things. And so I was just coming off of when you and I had met, becoming aware of this Mm. because I had just always thought, 
I don't get why I can't drink normally. I had actually really had a lot of judgment on myself about why can't I drink normally. Um, And then I started having, and I also had reactions to wine. Hmm. So I don't really understand that other than to say that it's just not something that my body is able to tolerate. And it lets me know very clearly. And um, that's really important because alcohol has a very long legacy in my family line of being the uh, drug of choice for the really high intuitives in my family to mask their gifts. Hmm. Um, And I have done, there's been a lot of journeying in my life since we talked about that with just me starting to understand like, um, because I always thought Uh, because I am an intuitive. I just always thought like, I'm the one healer. I'm the one intuitive. Like it's just me in this giant family. It's just me. And that's not true Mm. at all. So that's something you've discovered since then. Absolutely. Mm. And it's taken me a long time to soften and open my eyes and see, oh, wow, this member of the family who didn't necessarily own and honor that term, 100% had gifts and 100% Uh, We just had different ways of talking about those gifts. Mm. And I do come from a line of nurses and doctors. Literally Mm. everyone in my family, almost everybody is a nurse and a doctor. And um, like alcohol has been a very, very, very powerful teacher and invitation into reclaiming, really claiming something that runs very strongly in my mother's bloodline that um, I'm the only one in my family who doesn't drink. Wow. Out of like a 45, 50 person intimate family, I'm the only one who doesn't drink. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was it, um, you mentioned a couple of things, well, several things there that are very (laughs) interesting to me. (laughs) Firstly, to backtrack a bit, you mentioned that you felt um, you were really down on yourself for not being able to drink. Oh, yeah. Can you describe a little bit about that process? Like, what would you, like, it was a a kind of a sign of weakness that you couldn't handle your liquor or something? Yeah. Like, um, I come from a family of passionate drinkers. Mm. I come from a family who, they're... I wouldn't I would not necessarily say that I come from a family of alcoholics, but I would also not say that I don't. <laughs> well, I feel like it's a slippery term. It is a like slippery term. Yeah. It is. Um but yeah, like um I come from my um it was seen as a rite of passage. I'm an Italian woman. I'm also I'm a Scottish woman. Like there's a lot in the familial bloodline of this idea of like, you have a drink, you unwind. And also, um, I think that if you're somebody who is really highly sensitive and you don't have a sense of how you unwind and drop Mm. in, you just ascribe that to, well, I should have a glass of wine. Mm. And if it doesn't work and everyone around you is having it, it at least for me, there was always this undercurrent of like, well, why can't I just be a normal person? Why can't I just have a glass of wine? Which is an, it's, it's probably not that uncommon, but Mm. it was a really big thing that I had to move through. Mm. And actually I've never shared this before. Um, I don't even think I've told you, but uh, other than two times in the last five years, I haven't had a drink. Um, and, and literally one of those times was like 
a sip of something that was fine and another time was a completely different situation, neither of which were particularly bad other than having Mm. a severe allergic reaction Mm. (laughs) that I had to deal with because, again, it's all about the spiral in this journey of life and, you know, whatever. But um, it's been, I stopped on my 30th birthday. And that was actually the turning point that started to lead me down the path of really what turned into a breakdown around June. Mm. My birthday's in April. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in 2014. And um, that's literally what brought me in front of you. Mm. So um, my 30th birthday was this enormous initiation that I won't get into, but I drank so heavily on my 30th birthday that I literally had to stop just cold turkey and I was drinking pretty regularly then um and then kind of realized that I had these allergies because I got so sick after my birthday long story short um it I believe was the number one reason why after stopping drinking I was able to kind of drop into a full-on kind of breakdown breakthrough that really started to get me onto my journey of healing from childhood PTSD. Cause mm-hmm. before that I was just trying to like live mm. and I had to kind of rip everything mm. apart and heal from the ground up, which I'm really still doing. Um, but that was around the time when I started to hear and I am, you know, an intuitive and mm-hmm. can hear and I just couldn't, I didn't really understand what that meant or mm. what that was until alcohol left my life. Mm. So I would also say that for some people, it is the, and again, I mentioned this with, you know, being in my bloodline, like, like after I turned 30, there was just something about that where spirit was just like, it's either this or nothing. Like there's no way that you can do one without the other. And some people are wildly gifted intuitives who can hear with, with or on anything, but I'm just not one of those people. It's very interesting, though, the way you speak of um, there being many intuitives, many healers in your family who have learned to perhaps express that gift, maybe some of that gift, or been drawn to healing medical professions Mm -hmm. as a a way to kind of like find an outlet for that. Um, And I wonder, you also, then you'll correlate, I'm correlating this with the fact that you have a family of passionate drinkers too yes like how many people in your family and your lineage may have been consciously or not using alcohol to as you said kind of keep a lid on something that was not socially acceptable that would not be understood by the family or by our society is that something that you've come into a fuller awareness of 100 percent 100 percent because Mm. because again like i won't mention names because some people are are still in their journey of being private about this but i mean when i tell you intuitives in my family like i have a cousin who sees full people like full dead people and has always had people come to her um, and she is um, very passionate about drinking. And I would not <laughs> say that she has a problem, mm. but she connects the two, I think. Mm. And um, my grandfather was a clairvoyant who didn't have a name for that and was very uh, plagued by anxiety and depression. And alcohol was what worked. And I mm. think alcohol in my family was always this thing Like, I've never talked about this with my blood family, but I don't think any of them would deny that 
Alcohol is a thing that if you're an intuitive in my family, if you have high sensitivity, high empathic gifts, which many of them do, not all of them do. Mm. Alcohol is a thing that you can reach to that you can readily get in a store and that can make you feel good and also block that out. Mm. And it also is a tool that you can reach for that will keep you from going the next step to be able to say, well, maybe I want to invite in medication, meditation, a therapist to actually move through Mm. these energies rather than just deny on both sides. And I feel like that legacy is something that I'm still breaking, Mm. believe it or not. It's like, Mm. when is it like, can I be okay with the big emotions and feelings I'm having and the experiences of life where I might have to call in somebody to help support me through them like a doula of some kind whether it be whatever and how can I really start to live in honor that I'm a highly sensitive person and there's nothing wrong with that so obviously my story doesn't reflect with everybody else because there's nothing really wrong with alcohol but Mm. for me um it's been like a huge um Mm. thing like literally in my soul legacy that's like it can't come with you. Well, it sounds to me very much like for whatever reason, your soul has chosen to be a pattern disruptor in your lineage and to actually be the one who's going to yeah. step it up and, like you said, both accept and welcome and yeah. bring your gifts to the world in service yeah. and to actually address whatever kinds of traumas, pain, mm. um, difficulty, emotion might yeah. have been also preventing you from stepping fully into your power yeah you know that's what I see when I look at you and I look at the work that you do when I hear this story yeah and I think I recognize it because I I feel that yeah. way about myself also. absolutely there's so yeah. much you've written in your book that reflects this and that mm. we've talked about I've heard mm. you speak about like there's a lot of parallels mm-hmm. yeah and I do already feel that for me removing alcohol has been such a incredibly subtle and yet so the most powerful part mm. of my healing journey in a way so I say incredibly subtle because it feels like oh you just remove alcohol yeah. it's just I just stopped doing this thing mm-hmm. and yet the the um knock-on effect of that the kind of reverberation throughout my being of just that one simple thing mm-hmm. has allowed me to address so much of not only past traumas that I hadn't healed from but things that my other family members have experienced yeah. going back further through my lineage also yeah. and I've really been able to realize that actually I can be a conduit for helping them to heal as well whether they're consciously aware or thankful about that or not yeah but there's something I'm doing by yeah. choosing to actually be really present with all of the feelings Yes. All of the emotions, all of the history, all of the pain. Yes. And actually kind of work through it. Hell yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you said that stopping drinking at 30 then led very rapidly to what you describe as a kind of a breakdown, mm-hmm. breakthrough. And I think that that's, it's really important. You know, my, the subhead for my book is all uber positive. It's like blissful sleep, deep connection, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful focus mm-hmm. <laughs> and radical presence. Now, radical presence Absolutely. sounds very appealing, right? It's really hard. We all want to be present. <laughs> but hey, in case you haven't been experiencing this already and you're sober curious, radical presence can be really, really painful it and is. very, very difficult to bear and this is one reason so many of us use alcohol and other substances and other behaviors to remove ourselves from the present moment it's like being fully present all the time it's like oh it's a trip yeah (laughs) and I'm guessing that's 
kind of what happened for you when when you removed the alcohol yeah. and I would love if you could share any tools you have for people who may be feeling daunted by that prospect who may be in that that space of presence and unate and feeling some things yeah. that feel unbearable just um to help people know that they have the they have it within there they have the capacity yeah. to move beyond that well what I'll say is that um for anyone working through that something that like I wouldn't even be able to move through I wouldn't have been able to move through that time without anchors mm. um and I feel like you and everyone listening to this understands kind of intuitively what an anchor is but just because I'll say um, that an anchor is any tool that keeps us rooted in the truth, the real soul's truth of what we're doing when the brain rages. And if we're, um, for one reason or other, maybe we don't uh, label ourselves as an alcoholic, maybe we're not labeling ourselves as sober or as in recovery. Um, if there is kind of a karmic lineage attachment or connection or relationship to alcohol and we choose to take it away, really anything like that for practice, practicing radical presence, a lot of us need to practice radical presence with an anchor. So whether that is a mantra, whether that is a teacher, for some of us, we have to have a living, breathing person, a therapist next to us by our side. That could be a dog. It could be a cat. It could be your tarot deck. It could be... Um, the conjuring of an image of someone that you love or someone even if whom you haven't met them um, can bring you or has brought you great a great sense of presence. That really famous story about Ram Dass having a stroke where um, really quickly yeah, Ram Dass... I'd love to hear Yeah, <laughs> Ram Dass, um, this is an amazing story mm. and I'm excited that I'm sharing it. Great. <laughs> um, Ram Dass had a stroke in his later years and... Um, he lived to tell the tale, obviously, because he's alive, but he shares this very famous story because he said, I had a stroke and I kind of woke up and, um, to, uh, how he put it was that, and I'm paraphrasing, but he had tubes all over him. He woke up in the hospital was just like bright lights and pipes. And like, there were people all around, it was stark and it was barren. And he was just like in this situation, having surgery, like just all this stuff. And he said, in that moment, I couldn't find anything. There was no God. There was no, there was nothing. And he said, um, I completely panicked. I had no center. And he very famously said, I flunked the test. Hmm. That like all of that work <laughs> was to keep him tethered in a moment like that. And he couldn't find it. Hmm. And so what brought him back in? To, and I highly recommend anyone Googling like Ram Dass stroke story because it's pretty mm. powerful. But he said that the thing that brought him back to that presence was the thought of his beloved teacher, mm. Maharaji. And so when he started to think of Maharaji, it filled him with love. And he was able to like kind of find his way back in in the midst of all of that. So that's an anchor. Yeah. And everybody, no one needs to know your anchor. No mm. one needs to, no one needs to have any business. <laughs> like your anchor gets to be whatever you want it to be. Mm. Um, so for, I would say for anyone, I think everybody needs an anchor. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't even realize that we need it or that we've had it or that we've intelligently reached for something in those moments. So for me, I had a lot of anchors that were coverers that were like, this is too big for me to feel. So I'm just going to hopefully 
squash this beach ball back down that had been prior to 30. And once alcohol went away, it um, now at the time, what I would have told you is that it destroyed me to the point where I had to ask for help. But really, in hindsight, what it did was it cleared everything that was kind of a false cover mm. and actually made me reach my hand out for a true anchor. Mm. So that's when tarot came back into my mm. life. And that's when I met my teacher, who is very beloved to me, Michelle. And that's when um, I stopped talking to my mother. And that's when a very toxic, very old friend who had been a, a business partner was just gone. And it was right when I got married. So it was like a lot of death and a lot of birth at once. And I really believe that it all started with no more alcohol. Mm. And then once I had those systems of safety in place, presence really became possible for me. Mm. So a lot of the time, in order to be with those huge feelings, we need anchors. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so, so important. And I think that for many people, yeah, we kind of use alcohol or other oh, addictive yeah. behaviors as what seem like anchors, but sure. they're not actually rooted in anything. They're just like skimming along yeah. the bottom of the ocean while we're still getting tossed by waves. Yeah. But we're holding on to something, yeah. something, a glass. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we have an anchor because we're actually yeah. just then whatever's in the glass is numbing us to yeah. what we are not ready to feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, really everything changed for me when I started drinking. This is such a vulnerable thing to say, but... Um, I am an Aries and, um, I just never learned how to flirt without alcohol. So I was I think really, I don't think you're alone. No, I was very, very good at sealing the deal when I had alcohol. <laughs> and even though I'm married, like I, there is a level of intimacy that I feel like in the journey of my marriage, like I'm still working to not shy away from because there's no softening agent anymore. Mm. There's no lubrication there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like I can't, um, I can't drop into that. Like, you know, again, there's just so much medicine that comes if you're a highly sensitive person, as I think many people listening to this podcast are, um, friends, lovers, so many things. It opened your eyes so fast to be like, oh, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. I cannot be with this person. This can't be. Yeah. Totally. And it's interesting. I think what you're saying about vulnerability and Mm -hmm. intimacy and particularly in our sexual and kind of loving relationships as well. Like I've been with my husband for 20 years. And since we both got sober curious together slash so... It was only then that I realized that there were still parts of myself that was holding back from him. And so being sober together now has created a whole new level of intimacy I didn't even know was missing, even after like 15, 16 years together. Yeah. That now just feels, it feels like we're meshed together on a whole different level. It's It's really, and it was, but it was very scary at the time. Yeah. Because I'm like, wow, this person who I feel knows me so well, there are still certain things I'm afraid of saying or certain things I uh, don't want to express such as like I would really like to be having more sex yeah (laughs) like I can't believe it's so difficult for me to say this to someone I've been with for so long and how fearful that feels and wow then again what are the implications of that like where has my sexuality been shamed before where have where has it happened to other women in my lineage and actually really getting to look at all that stuff Mm. in the name of 
feeling. Getting sober curious. Yeah, and in the name of getting sober curious. I'm really curious, um, (laughs) given what we've said about the deep, deep impact um, on our spiritual selves of alcohol as to what you actually think of the substance itself. Like I've spoken to various different people about this, you know, my friend Shaman Durek, he shared that he feel or in his lineage, in his tradition, um, alcohol is seen as something that actually causes our spirit to abdicate our body Mm. so that earthbound spirits can enter and kind of have an experience of being human again which is pretty major major and and yeah um, trippy I guess I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about the substance itself and like it seems to me a deeply mystical substance (laughs) yeah I think so Mm. I mean I don't know if I have anything as profound as that to say that's pretty powerful Mm. and I'm really going to be thinking about that for a long time what I've come to is probably something you've said and other people have said, which was that um, alcohol is um, a medicine. And I think that many of us, um, in ways that really no other medicine is in our culture, we're just sort of given that medicine Mm. immediately there is an age initiation there's an age threshold in our collective like when you're 21 you can do this and no one you there's 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 literally like a number which ironically is the world card in the tarot which is ruled by saturn so Mm. there's literally like saturn energy around this initiation that it's completely acceptable for you to engage with this medicine wherever and i think Um, simply put, some of us do not have any work to do with that medicine in our lifetime. Some of us just don't. Some of us have no work to do with marijuana. Some of us have absolutely no work to do with ayahuasca. And some of us have incredible work to do with one or more of those medicines, depending on our lineage, what we're, you know, whatever, what we're Mm. brought to. Um, And I think that we're a little, not in a negative way, but I think we're just so indoctrinated to just not think about that. Like, is this medicine and highest and best for me? Will it elevate all um, aspects of my being? Is it really the right way for me to receive plant medicine? Is it the right way for me to receive um, the medicine of whatever fermented thing this is? You know, whatever it is. Um, And It's also something that I do believe is perfectly fine and that some people have the ability to be very in touch with themselves while uh, engaging in that medicine. Mm. But um, I am going to go out on a limb and I am going to say just as one person that I do think that alcohol is probably the best tool we have for dulling and dropping the volume down on the intuitive channel. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, again, no judgment to anybody yeah. who drinks or who's... I'm not saying that anybody who drinks does not have a clear, vibrant, beautiful channel. You do. What I am suggesting is that f- even for people with high, high, high channels, it could be louder and clearer where they're not alcohol involved. I'm pausing this episode to tell you about a new brand that is all set to seriously shake up, pun intended, haha, the sober curious cocktail scene. 
Liars is a full lineup of 12 non-alcoholic spirits that have been crafted using all natural essences, extracts and distillates to match the taste, aroma and even the appearance of regular spirits, but using zero alcohol as a base. This opens up a whole world of sophisticated spirit-free options, making it easier than ever to pass on the booze, stay true to what feels good to you and experience all the benefits of living hangover-free. Made in Australia and launching in the UK and the US this month, you can learn more about the brand, get recipes and find your local stockist at www.liars.co. That's L-Y-R-E-S dot co. I also mentioned in the intro two events that I have coming up, which will be taking place in Denver, Colorado on November 7th and November 8th, 2019. The first is a Sober Curious Salon, where you can come have this conversation with me in real time. I'll be talking about why I think the future is Sober Curious, and we'll have tons of time for audience Q&A, so you can get your specific questions answered too. The following night, I'll be giving a talk on the astrology of 2020. We are living through some very intense times astrologically, and it's not lightening up in the next year. And I'm going to be sharing tools for how to navigate this as well as offering some insights on the astrology of addiction. You can sign up for both events and find details of more upcoming offerings on my website at rubywarrington.com forward slash events. I love the fact you're bringing the idea of medicine into this. Alcohol is a medicine. And it was was used in early surgery and it's an anesthetic. So then it gets me thinking about, well, if society is urging us and every turn yeah. to begin using this med- med- medicine. Yeah. As soon as we begin to have any power in the world, mm-hmm. as soon as we are av- av- of the age that we yeah. can actually wield our power in the world. That's right. What are we being asked to medicate away? That's right. Our, you described it as our intuition. I might say our deep feeling states. 100%. Our emotions. Yes. Every no place. Our emotions have no place yeah. in this society. And then it's like, hmm. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> because actually our emotions are the signposts guiding us towards our most powerful gifts. Fuck yes. But we live in a society that has this hierarchical structure where not everybody is allowed to use their power. That's right. Not everybody is allowed to have access to that gift. That's right. So this is when we can kind of zoom out a bit and think about, hmm, what are the kind of like larger forces at play around our alcohol culture, I think. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, I love that you just brought in feelings because I think it is so much more... Um, effective and holographic than just talking about intuition but yeah like there are certain I mean it really it it kind of there is an indoctrination connected to alcohol culture Mm. and this idea of this um, like it's in TV commercials it's on billboards it's just like I watched some old sex in the city last night oh my god (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like if you have a Cosmo you will be connected to this I also think alcohol is used as this um, like gateway poster like if you're drinking this kind of alcohol you can be connected to this kind of energy or this kind of archetype like Mm. um, and I think it's why certain alcohols certain brands like prevail Mm. within certain people certain cultures certain drinks like there is something being communicated through the medicine of the alcohol and the way that it's projected, I think, over culturally. But all of it comes down to the same thing, which you so beautifully said, which is like, 
are you going to be an easy person? Are you going to be a cog in this overculture? Are you going to be somebody who doesn't necessarily think for yourself, who is someone who, when your feelings come up, you're not necessarily the best person to have agency over your feelings? Or are you going to be someone who, whether you drink alcohol or not, are actually thinking, mm. is this in highest and best for me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is this the right time to have this? Why? Mm. You know, when I was drinking, um, there were so many moments when I would find myself like, why exactly do I feel called to reach for this bottle? Like, what exactly am I trying to do here? And it was always the same. It was to numb out or stuff away or forget or whatever. Or just to feel more comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To smooth over those edges. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, let's talk about how alcohol shows up in the tarot. Sure. Alcohol, but also these other behaviors we're talking about. But I mean, I'm, I'm, so something else I've been... Um, thinking about a lot throughout the writing of this book and the living of this story really um is what are all the things i'm looking for in alcohol that i perceive alcohol is going to bring me and they're things like joy relaxation Mm. connection transcendence and Mm. even magic i've been using the word magic because i'm like for me a lot of my drinking experiences i didn't have the allergy that you did i mean it was really it felt magical i felt like i had superhuman powers and i was going to other realms where all these beautiful things happen I totally understand that so we and I think as humans we desire those experiences not not only desire but need those experiences they're part Mm -hmm. of our a fully rounded existence so I'm curious about both sides of how this shows up in the tarot Mm -hmm. the um the lower octave the addictive tendencies the numbing Mm -hmm. and also the transcendence Mm -hmm. and the bliss yeah I I cannot wait to speak to that, but you just said something that I do want to touch on that I just thought of, which was that um, a really big part of also for me personally, uh, because I got so ill every time I would drink and had such bad candida due to my drinking for forever, is that what I was actually realizing was that drinking was mimicking my physical abuse, Mm. that it was a very easy way for me to dull my power, keep myself a little bit sick, not really be in my full presence and keep hurting myself. And that was kind of my first step toward, well, that's no longer have, that no longer has a place in my life. So Mm -hmm. I think there's just endless amounts of wisdom to be gained from like why we reach for it and why we don't. But having said that, I love that you brought that up. Um, I think that, and I think a lot of people probably listening to this who have knowledge of the tarot would agree. Um, I think that you see these two, um, sides of alcohol really present in, are you talking about specific cards or in how we can engage with the tarot period? Both. I'm curious to hear what you have just in general, what you have to say. The tarot is such an amazing tool for understanding ourselves and Mm -hmm. for understanding our processes. And so, yeah, this is... Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you have to say. So for if we're talking about the tarot in general, what I would say to that is that the tarot is a mirror that will be whatever you want it to be. And it's so good like that, because if you want to do terrible things and if you want to manipulate, it will help you. It will take you there because it's a mirror and um, it really will be whatever you want it to be. And if you want to use it as it is originally really intended to be as a tool for presence and for clarity about what is here in this moment, 
it can also do that for you. And I think alcohol, depending on our family history, on all different kinds of factors, can either be this beautiful tool for awakening and presence, depending on how we use it, and for being in touch and for engaging with, you know, like this whole time we've been talking, I've been thinking about tinctures, Mm. you know, that are preserved so Mm -hmm. beautifully in alcohol and how so much of the plant medicine is brought out of the weed or the herb due to the fact that we're using whatever kind of alcohol or spirits that we are. I mean, alcohol is for sure a transmuter of things and it's very high and very holy. And for anyone who doesn't necessarily drink wine or whiskey, but loves tinctures, there is huge medicine in that. So sometimes I think it's about just like the tarot realizing how does this help? Mm. In what form does this help? Mm. And with tarot, really asking, well, what way could this pull be in highest and best for me? Just bringing an element of intentionality to it. Mm. I think that can really create um, a lot of empowerment that really is a parallel experience with the tarot and with alcohol. And the other uh, thing that... There's also, just to interject mm-hmm. quickly, I think that tarot can become addictive too. Right? Oh. If, you're, if you're turning oh, to it, yeah. like you can't make a decision, you can't leave yes, the house of without course. doing a tarot pull. 100%. Then you're, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a similar, yes. similar kind of behavior. Yeah. And there have been times in my life, hard times over the last year or two where... I've wanted an answer so badly and there isn't. And I'm a tarot reader and teacher and tarot's kind of my anchor tool where it's just literally put on a big boot and like kicked me in the ass and been like, you're getting nothing. You just have to live and you have to see like you're creating this. We don't have anything to tell you right now. So I agree with you that I think, um, yeah, clarifying the why of it. Mm. Why are we reaching for a deck? Why are we reaching for a drink? I think it is very much the same. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I think many people would agree that temperance and the devil, which run concurrently with each other in order of the tarot, pretty much represent the high and the different high <laughs> <laughs> that can come when we're exploring what it is to be completely open in temperance to engaging with true equilibrium and balance that comes from being connected with spirit and with source and with the devil that really comes from going way deep down into our brain chemistry and our desires and our impulses and sometimes our addictive patterning to determine well how exactly is the brain utilizing this to keep me in a state of smallness and now that I've seen that Maybe alcohol is not actually the problem. Maybe it's my Mm -hmm. belief about the alcohol. So I think when those two come together, they help us to really make peace and be completely 100% accepting of ourselves, whether or not we choose to engage or not. Because I think ultimately what comes with alcohol is just respecting it as being something that is always available to us. But if we're really, and it takes years, like I'm still learning this too, but if we're really in touch with the body, with the soul, with what it is that is in highest and best for us, it's really easy to be able to say there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not for me. Yeah. I feel exactly the same. Do you know what I mean? But it does take so much time and it's just, it's like literally civilization's worth of conditioning. Exactly. (laughs) That we're attempting to undo. So I think just not, um, 
not for me a big part of it has been about not beating myself up when I yeah. still fall prey fall prey even sounds kind of sinister but when I still kind of um, oh yeah find that conditioning still there oh yeah oh, it's like oh yeah okay it's still there there's more to work with <laughs> and I want to share something because temperance was really known for a really long time as like the card of virtue like that actively mm. was taught for a really long time. There's a very old lineage with um, the definition and the interpretation of temperance as being like, be very moderate, be very strict with yourself. And actually, the core root of temperance um, comes from the Greek word sophrosun or sophrosign, which uh, is all over the temples and it's really a huge part of ancient greek society Mm -hmm. and it literally means know yourself and keep nothing in excess Mm. that's what it means together Mm. so Mm. know who you are Mm. and keep your life balanced in the way of nothing in excess and if it starts to become an excess we bring it back down to balance so rather than being a static state of like um, I'm sober forever. Or like kind of moral righteousness. Yes. Mm. It's actually an engagement and we can find a lot of that medicine in the tarot. I think, um, we're always in relationship. How are we getting to know ourselves today? How is it different than it was yesterday? How mm. has this external experience changed us? Mm. How is excess today different than what it was yesterday? What am I finding here? Okay. Interesting. And if we're working with alcohol in any part of that, just so beautiful to see it as like an ever-changing experience because we get really addicted to the idea that like i'm never drinking again yeah and it's like i shared well, that's so much of the 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 um the messaging mm-hmm. around sobriety means yes. that it, you're straight edge and this is it yeah. like forever black and white yeah yeah so there's a lot in the tarot but i would just say like temperance helps us to really explore what it is to be always looking at our relationship to any earthly thing any kind of interconnectedness from our human life to working with spirit Mm. and the devil really helps us to see i use this example all the time i work with a lot of people in tarot that are in recovery because i just do it's an Mm. honor to be able to do that Mm. and a lot of the people that i've worked with feel so alarmed and ashamed when they want to drink. And we have to do a lot of work on like, what if you just, uh, not even with tarot, but just in my work as a mentor and working with people in intuitive counsel, like what if you were to absolutely be okay with the feeling? Because the feeling has nothing to do with where you take it. What if it was just to be that it was there, discomfort and all that you, there was a part of you that was, connecting this feeling with knowing that alcohol at one time helped you to not feel it or could help you to not feel it or that life is going so great that now I have to try to figure out a way to destroy it before it gets destroyed and the devil is an energy that says let me look at these invitations let me look at these thought patterns and then I'll determine for myself whether or not it's actually something I want or whether it's something that the brain is saying, hey, do this, so you can keep yourself in this similar loop. Once you know the difference, I really believe with devil work, it breaks forever, and then mm. we're really liberated. Mm. Devil's a huge liberation in the tarot. Mm. So It's interesting. I mean, this is you're describing the sober curious path, that these two cards actually mm. showing two very distinct parts of this path, both of which is to know yourself 
and know the beast. Yes. Know yourself, know the beast, and know how to, in, what this interact, and just work the interaction, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Can you talk to me a little bit about the star? I don't know why. I feel like it's been coming up a lot around this book. I know it's mm. a healing card. Yeah. So how would you think that this, how would the star potentially play into this journey as well? Well, the star is ultimately, it's ruled by Aquarius. So this is the perfect oh. time to be talking about it. Um, the star is um, the deepest healer card in the tarot. And Tarot is just a um, interpretation of what is and has always been. So a lot of the time, we it's a really weird shift, but we have a tendency to think like, oh, the tarot is this, but it's actually not. It's a mirror of what has always been in life. And there, the way that we can understand the star is that we've all experienced a moment whether we we can remember it or whether we ever gave ourselves credence for this, where we kind of have to stop to get better. Mm. Even if it's for a week, maybe we have the flu. Um, maybe it's like we have a breakdown, we, we give birth, we have a death in the family, we get injured, um, or we are just um, deeply um, brought to our edge in one way or another. Um, and we have to stop. And we have to go back to kind of the water center and we have to clear what's there. And the star in the tarot, you have to come to it after the devil, after the tower. So you do the work in the devil, you make these realizations, the tower comes in and it clears everything out that's not serving you. And then you cool. And it's kind of like... um, Whenever I think that I'm going through a tower that I'm never going to come out on the other side of, it's so beautiful to remind myself, like, there's never a tarot without a star. There will always be a time to move through this. So I think once there is the absence of um, alcohol or whatever we're working through, really deep healing can start to happen because there's nothing left Mm. that's keeping us from going down into the center. Mm. Um, but from, it's a, from experiencing the tower and its fullness. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And one hallmark of the star is that it tends to come in repetition. It's one of the cards that if you just pull it and pull it and pull it and pull it, and you, if you're doing regular pulls and you find like, pulled the star like 80 times this month. <laughs> and it's because when you're in the star, you're in the star. You're in the star for a little while. Usually, sometimes it can be weeks, sometimes it can be months. But it's not because of the card. It's because that's true of that kind of, that level of healing and clearing. And it really brings us back to, it's a nervous system healer. Mm. There's a reason why um, there's all those pools of water mm. in the rider, in the Smith Rider weight that all kind of pour into each other. It's literally we're clearing the nervous system out through tears, through sweating, through whatever water systems kind of need to be cleared for literally humanity because when we do that level of work we usually bring something forward that is for everybody this is amazing beautiful like (laughs) well you asked the question it was awesome approaching tower like 
in I've done the devil work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this a lot is making sense to me now. Thank you, thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome. Um, so one thing I'd like to talk to you about is um, the T word trauma. This is yeah. something that actually, without me intending it, has come up in pretty much every single episode of this show. Mm. I've been speaking to people about trauma, yeah. and I partly wonder if it's because we're in a quite a we're in a time collectively when so much of our trauma is very present for us um being triggered by external events and I think also just um deep down I think the star is in fact I think I might have even when you asked me about my favorite card when I did your episode said the star so it does feel like another full circle moment today but I think ultimately like deep deep heal the idea of that deep healing giving people the tools for it inviting people into it is really at the root of what my work is about um, but I think the word trauma, it can be very scary for people. Um, I actually did a great panel at one of our Club Soda NYC events where I had a, a UCLA and Oxford trained psychiatrist on the mm. panel who's doing a lot of work with psychedelics for nice. healing, um, for healing trauma. Then he kind of started his, his part of the panel by saying, we hear the word trauma and we automatically go to, um, very dark, very, um, extreme experiences. Mm. And many people think the word doesn't apply to them. Yeah. However, everybody, everybody, everybody has some kind of trauma in it's their true. lives. And he went on to explain that he f- sees addiction or any kind of addictive behaviors um, as actually a symptom of an unhealed trauma. Mm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, what your um, thoughts are on, on how we can begin to address our traumas, even when it feels very frightening scary mm-hmm. we've spoken already about anchors being really important mm-hmm. um and also you know your your brand is called wild soul healing mm-hmm. and i'd love to hear your definition of healing also as it relates to that yeah. i don't want too many questions in one go for you there <laughs> <laughs> well i love i feel very honored that you asked me this question and i hope i can do it justice i don't know that i can but i'll do my best mm. um healing from a wild soul perspective is understanding that we don't heal and then we're done. We heal spiralically. And that like nature, like the seasons, like the moon, like the tides, everything moves in spirals, everything moves in layers. And so do we. But we have these really big brains and prefrontal cortexes and that think, I thought I was done with this. Why is this back here? And then we get invited into so much despair because we think like, why the fuck can't I heal this and be done? And you can't because winter never stops coming. And even though it might feel the same, it's never the same. Like it it is always a different layer of shrapnel. So I think the difference between kind of healing and what I term as wild soul healing is being able to understand and reclaim that Everything is initiatory medicine. Illness is medicine. Diagnosis are medicine. Everything brings medicine. And everything is really an initiatory experience. So when we really, it's not a romanticizing of it, but it's also not trying to cover it up and fix it, Mm. as we often do in our culture, even spiritually, Mm. you know. Mm. Um, So I would say that. And then, um, of course, I think that addiction is a big part of trauma for some because um, trauma is 
anything that is really too big for the body to process at one time. And so when we have trauma, it can get stuck in the nervous system. And whether that's little trauma or it's full-blown PTSD, whenever there is any kind of re-triggering of trauma through whatever, a, a similar scent or a similar day or um, being hot, being cold, like everybody's triggers are different, mm. um, we tend to reach for something. The nervous system and brain are amazing like that where they say, oh no, this very distressing memory is coming up for Lindsay, is coming up for Ruby. Let's put action into their arm and make them reach for a joint just to help them out. Because um, the nervous system just wants stasis. It wants us to feel okay. Um, for some people, again, like what we're talking about is such a highly, highly personal experience where for some people this is a lifetime of work for some people, you know, nobody's in the wrong place. Nobody's doing anything wrong. And some people's traumas are so prolific and their addictions are very specific. And so you just want to take care to be mm. sensitive to that. Mm. Um, but of course, it, I mean, in a way, addiction is a highly intelligent response mm. to trauma because well, yeah, the way you're describing it, it's like, our, it's in a way showing that we are all our own healers oh yeah our system is just reaching for the healing tools it believes are at its disposal bingo and the more we can replace these tools which have been prescribed to us by our society as the most readily available and affordable and all of the things exactly with tools that are actually beneficial for us yeah we can actually learn how to heal ourselves or begin to heal ourselves absolutely Mm. and what i would say to anyone moving through this is like if you have the desire to heal and to move and to replace one form of care for another you will do it you can Mm. do it Mm. it may take time it might take years it might take lots of help none of that is a problem it just really is that everybody's everybody's healing journey is really different from the next person's Mm. and addiction is very intense very intense very yeah and how did you begin to find your healing tools um so i have very extreme complex ptsd that is, uh, for me, very connected to high panic. And so when my PTSD gets triggered, it brings me into complete, um, like, disaster, terror, panic mode. Um, And because, uh, as it does for a lot of people, um, and because I didn't, like, have a choice. Because Mm -hmm. there's no... It's so... um, disturbing and rattling and intense that you kind of can't help but be like oh my god (laughs) you know what I mean Mm -hmm. what could right the ship here Mm. um and because I'm somebody who kind of is like I have a very unsinkable personality in terms of my healing like and this has really been going on since I was about 11 or 12 Mm. is that I would be kind of overcome with something and um unfortunately nobody in my family really understood that it was PTSD that I was going through because they didn't really want to understand that I was being abused at home. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just like, let's go to the bookstore and I would just look 
and literally at 11, 12 years old, like that was how I got in touch with tarot. And it's always been in response to something really huge coming up and me saying, okay, that was horrible. Now, what can I do about it? So it really has just been in response to me having these really huge swells and trying to see what's the right boat for this wave. Yeah. <laughs> what will not help I love me? That. Yeah, like cuz um how can I remain unsinkable? Yeah, like kind of yeah, I didn't mean to make that analogy, but, but it's, it's a good totally one. <laughs> it's a good one cuz this is cuz I mean here's the thing. Like this is the life I have. I don't imagine I'll be going through these swells for the rest of my life, but this is part of the chosen path. I have I had pre-birth trauma. Mm-hmm. I was born to someone who's very, very disturbed and very ill and um, was subject to a lot of things. And so your waves are different. Your ocean is different. And my uh, work has really been like, okay, well, let's not judge that. Yeah. Because it could be very easy to say, well, if I hadn't gone through that, but I did. And this just is. This is the ocean of the moment. Um, And when you are in, like, I know that what I'm about to say, you're going to completely understand this. Like, everybody's ocean is different. And for some of us, we look at someone else's ocean and we think, I don't even know how they, like, even deal with this shit. But if you're in the water, you're not thinking about it. You're just saying, okay, these are tsunami-level waves where the sky is totally sunny and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden there's a thunderclap and I'm drowning So what's a thing that I can have that will come to me in a moment's notice? And then the more you get those people, the more your ocean or those tools, the more your ocean kind of starts to change. Mm. And then when the tsunami comes back again, you think, well, I know that I've been through this so many times. There's not going to be one that's going to come in and drown me unless I want to actually let go and say, I'm just tired of dealing with the boat, (laughs) you know, and that's its own conversation, which is perfectly fine. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think you just reach for what you need in the moment and then it builds from there. And in a way, I mean, thank goddess that you're allergic to alcohol because for many people, alcohol is like, as we've discussed, that thing or other drugs or, you know, it sounds, I know this sounds a little like it's what, whatever it sounds like how it sounds, but I really just, yeah, exactly what you just said. Like God, God is very good to me with Mm. some things because Mm. um, they really know if I don't have it so extreme, I'll just keep fucking with it. (laughs) (laughs) So like whatever it happens to be, like if it's not very extreme, like you cannot have this, it will hurt you. um, It's a little harder for me to stop because I know pain Mm. and it's not always the first thing that incentivizes me to stop Mm. yeah so it is a good thing that I'm Mm. allergic (laughs) describe to me just a little bit the feeling of finding tarot like finding your practice finding your teacher I often when people are like I don't know what I should is it this should Mm. I go and try this and I often encourage people to really just follow your curiosity like whatever it is that Mm -hmm. feels the most curious bringing it back to sober curious in a way just follow your curiosity cultivate it and follow that path but like how what Drew, how did you know this was this was what would be what was going to work for I you? 
I, I'd love to, I'm so happy you asked this question because I never knew. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you do know. Mm. I, I don't think so. I don't know, but I bought my first tarot deck at the age of 12 and I'm almost 35. So it was about how many years ago that was. Um, because I thought it was cool and I hoped it would help. Mm. And I gave readings all through middle school, all through high school, all through college and never understood that it would ever be a fixture in my life. It just mm. was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. And I didn't have to know. At that time, I didn't even know I have any. I had any gifts in that area. Um, and tarot came into my life, came kind of back into my life in the way that it did that, mm. that you and I got acquainted a number mm-hmm. of years ago. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, I had moved through my breakdown, my wellness practice that I had started with my business partner was totally down the toilet. Um, everything that I had kind of worked for was, was, was healing from my breakdown, feeling very good, but kind of was like, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself. Cause I thought coaching was it. Now it's totally not. And a shop near me needed a reader and it was a random thing. And I don't know what, to, what said, what in me went. I can read tarot. I can do it. And really read tarot in a really long time. I kind of didn't even remember some of the definitions. I just thought it would be fun. And it was sort of that whisper that was just like, yeah, that would be, it would get me out of the house. Yeah. And literally that first day, there was never really any slowdown from that day. It was just something that I went, oh my God, like I remember this. I remember doing this for years. Like these cards and I know each other. I didn't understand that. Um, so I think you don't always know, but you can play. And I think that um, that's really a wonderful way to begin to um, understand, like, how can you start? You, you just have to start. You just have to play. And if you, like, tarot is a good example. Like, buy a deck, see if it resonates with you, and play around with it and see what works. And um, with my teacher, who is not a tarot teacher, but just my my intuitive spiritual mentor, um, she came about because I was working with a student of hers who kind of couldn't help me anymore and was like, I have this woman. She's amazing. Like she kind of only sees people who are like, like she's different. She's a little Mm. bit more like off in a cave. Would you see her? She'd like to see you. And I was like, yeah, I would see her. And it was exactly right. But I wasn't ready for her until I had done all this work with a woman who then I had to kind of leave behind in order to move forward. So I think like life responds really strongly to action. And I think that like, for example, if we're looking for a good therapist, rather than waiting for the right therapist to jump out at you, it can be very powerful to start talking to therapists and see what works because even if it doesn't work and then you have to pull back you've laid the groundwork that you're ready to receive this thing um but really all of those things came because I was just doing my work Mm -hmm. and you know like Mm -hmm. I think I don't know if you know I've never made one decision with my career being like this is it and it's all been just trying to honor my intuition in any given moment Lindsay, it has been wonderful speaking to you today. I really feel I could talk to you about these topics all day. I'm so happy that now I've heard the whole story of Mm -hmm. your sober journey as well, because I think the more um, I'm really passionate about sharing all of people, every, all the different paths 
to choosing to live alcohol free yeah. it doesn't have to look a certain way yeah. you can have entirely your own reasons mm-hmm. um, in fact the more you can tap into it and it be about your reasons rather than something that's being dictated I think the better and the more sustainable ultimately mm-hmm. so thank you for sharing so openly thank you and um, I'll see you back in New York yes definitely <laughs> I'm so happy I got the hit to share this interview with you here. Lindsay and I touched on some of the bigger spiritual themes of the Sober Curious Path, which I talk about in my book, but which can seem sort of nebulous and out there until we're able to think about them in terms of actual human beings trying to make sense of our lives, to understand the things that have been passed down in our lineages, and to unpack the often unspoken emotional baggage we're carrying around in our bodies day to day. Lindsay has been an amazing teacher to me, and you can learn more about her work at lindsaymack.com. She also has a brilliant podcast called Tarot for the Wild Soul, which is all about how we can use the tarot as a tool for personal healing and evolution. I'll include links into both in the show notes. Thank you again for being here. If you love this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you listen on iTunes, you can subscribe and leave a five-star review to help other people find this series. This podcast features original music and is edited by alloaudio.com. That's A-L-O-E audio.com.